Hello and welcome to Prosperity by the Pine, episode 65. I'm your host, Bryce Carter, certified financial planner, charter financial consultant, certified investment management analyst, and self-proclaimed millennial money expert. This is a podcast where we talk about money, investing, business, and life success, all while having a cold beer. This week's episode is it's going to one of a two-parter about the case for international investing. And more importantly than the topic is the beer at hand. So the beer of the week is from Good City Brewery and Brewing in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's called Risk. How fitting. Uh, all investment involves risk, as the disclosure at the end of the podcast indicates. And it's an IPA, Risk IPA, 6.5% alcohol. I have not had this before. My producer, Allie, picked this up for me while she was in uh, Milwaukee on vacation. So cheers. Let's give it a try. Well, that is lovely. Good job, Allie. She's very proud of herself. I'm very proud of you. So the case for international investing. Now, there has been a lot of, basically, let me summarize it in this. Every investment manager and financial planner basically out there believes, with a handful of exceptions, that you should invest your portfolio in a diversified fashion. And ideally, diversification means globally, which means you own both U.S. stocks and international stocks. So that, that logic is, is rooted in the fact that different countries and different economic scenario, uh, situations perform differently at different times, right? And, and so th there's no real debate over the evidence. The only debate comes in is that over time, the world has become more global, where U.S. large companies do a lot of business internationally and international large companies do a lot of business in the U.S. And so, therefore, there's not as much of a diversification benefit as there maybe once has, once was. And I would argue that may be true to a certain degree. However, the large companies, since we have really good market data, have always been for the primarily uh, for the most part, been global companies, right? So you're looking from the 70s and 80s on, you're looking at a lot of global companies. Now, that is, may have expanded, but that doesn't negate the need for international diversification. Now, because pretty much all money managers, um, investment academics, ec economists believe that global, international, diversified portfolio is the way to go, most of them have international investments in their portfolios or the ones portfolios that they recommend and therefore have kicked themselves in the teeth repeatedly or in the mouth or put their foot in their mouth repeatedly over the last 10 years. And that is because the last 10 years, the U.S. has outperformed dramatically. Uh, it's the large, largest time frame, 10 year time frame in which the U.S. has outperformed since 1989 to 1999. Um, and it's, it's outperformed by about 6% a year. I mean, in all reality, uh, the, 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 the performances comes, the only thing that really comes close to, uh, is, is 89 to 99, but also post-World War II, 1945 to 1949, when the rest of the world was essentially destroyed, right, by, by World War II taking place in their backyards and the u.s had a chance to basically skip ahead right and our economy grew at a rate in which other economies didn't so there's been three periods of time in which the u.s has just dramatically dramatically outperformed and that has been 2009 to 2019 um at 1989 to 1999 and 1945 to 1950. Now, the 1945 to 1949-50 uh, range is pretty self-explanatory. We got World War II, the rest of the world is destroyed. Uh, during 89 to 99, the market crashed, essentially, 
um, and and the market overall was doing really really. It crashed in '87, but then internationally, you didn't get as much as the tech bubble uh, crashing as you did really with the the uh, U.S. market. Um, so the internationally, they're less focused on tech, therefore they weren't impacted by that. But what I'm what I'm leading up to is not just to make the case for international, but to particularly in this first episode, is is kind of explain why the U.S. has outperformed over the last 10 years and what that means for markets. So what Morningstar did, uh, Morningstar is a research firm, they're, they're extremely well known, is they did a, a series of different studies and, and they looked at different markets. So a lot of stuff I'm going to be saying today is going to be coming from some of the studies that they did. They tested 29 different countries using four different valuation methods. And what they did was say stocks are either fairly priced, they're moderately, uh, uh, they're, they're expensive, or they're underpriced, right? And when they ran all these different countries and said this country is either overpriced, underpriced, or fairly priced, in every scenario, basically, underpriced ended up doing better over a period of time. Now, for the last 10 years, that logic has been completely thrown out. The U.S. has outperformed even against cheap countries, countries where their their valuation was cheap compared to the amount of uh, earnings that that company had inside of that country. And so valuations have been thrown out the window for the last 10 years, and I want to hammer down into why. And so if you look at the performance of the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest stocks in the U.S., and compare it to international, I mean, you're looking at like two and a half better, two and a half times better returns U.S. versus international over the last 10 years. And that really comes down to about six companies, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, which is, you know, Google and Microsoft. So Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Netflix. Netflix is the sixth uh, sixth company. Those companies, if you strip them out of the S&P 500, the performance is not identical, but it's extremely close. We're not talking about 6% a year. We're talking about a fraction of a percent a year over the last 10 years. These six companies have grown at such a rate that they are responsible for almost all the outperformance of the other uh, of the US market. And granted in the large S&P 500 index, there's 494 other companies. And so I wish I could put the chart up on the screen and and maybe that's capability we'll get the podcast, but most people listen over the the uh, voice only. So let me put it to you this way. You put a chart of the S&P 500 and you put a chart of the international markets. We call it EFI. East Asia, Far East, East Asia, Far East, EFI investments over the last 10 years. And the S&P 500 just kicks the shit out of it. Then you pull out six companies and they're right next to each other. What we've actually seen is that over the last 10 years, these these six companies accounted for something around 4% of, of the S&P 500. Uh, and now they account for about 24% of the S&P 500 as far as the value. Uh, the 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 growth is just ex- unbelievable. So here's the exact statistic: these companies went from 4.74 percent of the S and P 500 in 2009. Now those five companies are 20.54 percent of the S and P 500. Now beginning in 2010, they were six percent of the S and P 500 earnings, and now they're about 11 percent of the earnings. So the earnings doubled, but the value quadrupled. So let me say that again: for these six companies. 
earnings doubled. They made twice as much money, but their value quadrupled. What essentially got ha- happened is these companies went from, uh, you know, pretty medium, large size companies to just mega cap. These are the biggest companies out there. Uh, we're talking a trillion dollar market caps, and 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 their specific niche, essentially being technology and communication services is what has driven the market over the last 10 years. So the other reason, and now I'm going to get into a little more specifics after I sip this beer a little bit more. So internationally, you have a breakdown of, it's domestic and international, different sectors of the market, okay? So you have energy, you have infrastructure, you have industrial companies, you have financial companies, you have technology companies, you have communication services companies, you have commodities companies, you have real estate, et cetera, et cetera. In international markets, it's primarily dominated by financial and energy companies. In the U.S., our market is primarily dominated by tech companies and communication services. Those are both underweight companies in international indexes. And so what, is, what you see is that over the last 10 years, technology companies and communication services companies have outperformed the rest of the market dramatically. So what ends up happening is the international market underperforms simply by the fact that they don't have as many tech companies or simply that they don't have as many international or uh, communication services companies. And we also see that the fact that they have a lot of financials because of low interest rates, financial companies have struggled. Banks have struggled over the last 10 years. And so... What I'm getting at is that over the last 10 years, there has started to be a mindset shift that maybe you don't need to invest internationally. I mean, the U.S. is, we have some of the biggest, we have some of the best companies. We have, um, you know, technology companies, tech is the way of the future, and we've outperformed dramatically, and it's a global economy. And I'm here to tell you that although the U.S. has dominated, it's been a very small subset of the U.S. that has dominated tech and communication services specifically six companies and that the likelihood of that happening going forward is extremely unlikely. Okay. So the benefits of international diversification in my mind outweigh the downsides to it. Cause the downside is you might end up underperforming for a period of time, but when risk happens, risk happens big time, right? So you look at a scenario like right now, what they're experiencing with the coronavirus is the the curve started to flatten and drop down in the U.S., and now it has started to rise, and it's continued to stay flat or decline internationally. So that might be a catalyst for international outperforming is maybe their economy doesn't shut down and ours does have to again. I don't know. You know, you look at a scenario where currency uh, matters and political strife matters. So the U.S. out one of the reasons and catalysts for the U.S. outperformance in the last couple of years has been stock buybacks. And those were triggered by the Trump tax cuts in 2017. Now, I'm not against stock buybacks. I wish companies would use their money for other things. But it, it, it has driven outperformance. Stock buybacks aren't popular international. And we're in a political environment now where they're extremely unpopular. So that's likely not going to continue going forward. So the point of this is all, all to say that the U.S. has outperformed internationally. There's been a couple of reasons why. And I don't think that it's likely that that will happen going forward. So to, to, to examine that just a little bit further. So the drivers of long-term stock returns uh, in, in both international and U.S. markets of very long term since basically the 1900s has been inflation accounts for about 2% of returns. 
Yield and stock buybacks, so dividends and stock buybacks is about 5%. And then growth is about 1.9%. So that's companies reinvesting their cash, their cash flow, and building their businesses, building their earnings, just growing the business. So 2% is inflation, 5% is dividend and stock backs, and 2% is good old-fashioned genuine growth for a long-term average return of stocks of about 9%. Now, since 2009... Stocks of U.S. stocks have averaged thirteen and a half percent. Inflation was one point six, so a little less than 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 typical. Yield was four point four, a little less than typical. Growth was three percent, which is better than usual, but three point eight percent of it was a change in valuation, meaning stocks got more expensive in relationship to their earnings. Now. What that means is that in order to justify that increase in uh, valuation, they have to grow exponentially faster over the next 10 years than they even did over the previous 10. So if we're looking at a situation in the market and the economy in these countries have to grow at a faster rate than they already have, which is an extremely fast rate to begin with, I'm saying it's not very likely. And Morningstar has got some statistics on this. So... Right now, looking at the the market statistics, they are saying that there is less than a 12% chance that the market can keep up with the valuation growth expectations. So let's see if I can reword this in a way that makes a little bit more sense. Right now, the market is priced in 7.9% growth expectation. There has only been two instances of growth above 8% of, of, of 7.9 is basically growth in the period in which they collected, so since World War One, And basically, one happens in World War One. Right after World War One, the economy blew up. And so, I mean, that this is what they're saying, is the U.S. is pricing in a 7.9% growth rate for the next 10 years. And that happens less than 12% of the time. So I think it's very unlikely that the U.S. stock market outperforms like what it has over the previous. And so our argument would be that international markets <clears throat> present a much better value at this particular time, not to mention it helps you diversify your risk of political strife, change in policy, overvaluation, currency exchange rates, uh, coronavirus, and other risks of that nature. So I'm going to dive in more specifically into why international seems attractive in the next episode. But to summarize, U.S. stocks have done better. They're really pretty expensive. In order for them to continue to do better, they have to grow at a really, really high rate, which is not seeming that it's going to be likely in the sense that it very rarely happens, especially when it has happened. It's been off the back of something bad, like a world war. So it could happen. It's just going to get stuff's got to get a lot worse before it, it can get better, right? So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Prosperity by the Pine. I hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, wherever you listen. That's where we are. Cheers. The topics that I discuss in this podcast are meant to be general information and educational only. I'm not giving you specific advice because I don't know you personally. In order to give you specific advice, you should work with an advisor or someone that can learn your specific situation and give you advice that applies to you. If I talk about a specific security, please keep in mind I'm not recommending that security. And don't forget, investing involves risk. When you invest, there's always the possibility of losing capital, which is why you should consult with a qualified, licensed financial advisor prior to investing.